Professor. And here we go. Thank you for participating. Boldly going nowhere. Thanks for coming tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Woo. Yeah. Thank you for having us. And thank you, audience. The Internet. The Final Frontier. Well, hello, hello. We're live from 2016 DC Con uh, Podcast Festival. Tonight, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Back to the future references, please be advised. More than a phone is exploding from Samsung. Be careful when you're doing your laundry. Also, Steven Seagal is officially Russian. That's awesome. And then Marvel TV, why is it so addictive? And yes, Netflix, I am still watching. It's boldly going nowhere, everybody. All right. Yay. Up the landing. <laughs> I'm always nervous about doing that because I can never remember. I can never remember the cue between. Was that a sound effect or did a daycare just let out? A uh, daycare <laughs> just let out. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he's in charge of the sound effects, and it's like the worst decision we ever made. <laughs> like we had any choice in the matter. <laughs> oh God, no! Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Christ. Welcome to Bowling. Well, no, that's the last of it. I can totally promise you. No, that's a lie, and you know I think, it. I think the answer is more of that, please. Welcome to Boldly Going Nowhere. It's a podcast. You listen to it with your ears. Mm, my ears. name is Colin Kakamas, and seated to my left is Sean Holmes. Hello. Next to me, Clayton Myers, actor extraordinaire. I'm a Clayton. Yeah, and directly to my right, Brian Massey. Howdy. And this is a show about pop culture, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty simple. But yeah. uh, a lot of happened this week. Um, I just want to say, uh, first topic on the list, uh, the Cubs winning the World Series. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they could go back in time, put some money on the Cubbies. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, the, it's funny because a lot of people... Uh, yeah. No, it's... Funnily, yeah. <laughs> the funny the thing is, the though... There was an article about that, about, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Back to the Future is only a year off. Yeah. I don't think anybody realizes Parks and Recreation actually hit it right on the money that they won it in 2016. Somebody was literally just saying that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. great. But I just want to say it right now. On last week's episode, I actually made the prediction that the Cubs were going to come back from the three-game deficit mm -hmm. and win. And oh, I just want to say, I'm, I'm baseball Nostradamus. Yeah, okay. Right so wait, did you predict it or did you, by thinking he, it, manifest he, the intent? Little column A, little McCollum B. Okay. I think yeah, your yeah. Harry Carey impersonation it gave you the power <laughs> to predict it. Hi! <laughs> it's not very good. Will Ferrell's is much better than mine. But, I mean, Absolutely. Uh-oh. What, what, what's happening? I'm Okay, cool. I'm just I'm like, what? I was like, did we just go back in time? Oh, God, we I'm caused a I'm hearing myself. Your Harry Carey causes trouble again. It's, uh, it's, 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 you know, it's a delay in the time stream by trying to pull him out of the ether. <laughs> Attempting to bring him back, it just Harry the wormhole. Ugh. breaks the time it's continuum. Never, no. <laughs> but, I mean, we were talking about this last week, and it's the Cubs haven't won a series in since, 19, yeah, since 1908. Years, yeah. And the Indians haven't won it in 48 years. So we, we sort of dubbed this year the, 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 the year of losers in the World Series. Yeah. And, I mean... Clayton, you're—I mean—you're a fan of Bill Murray, right? Um, yes, to I mean, say the least. Yeah, I mean, you saw like all Who the footage. Who here is not about, a fan of Bill Murray? Yeah, raise I'm your not. hands. Raise your hand. 
if you're not, no, no this one, is the correct answer. There yeah, are no that's the correct answer. answer. It's like, All right. we're okay but, with I mean, Bill. so you're a fan of him. Trick so. question, you pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but so you're a fan of him. So you saw all the reactions, like the huge media deluge about Bill Murray's reactions. Oh, yeah. Him. I mean, it was it was a Bill Murray montage day. I forgot there was a game going on. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were watching uh, like the, the sequel to Groundhog Day or something. That would have been fine. Yeah. I would do that. I mean, basically, it's just watching Groundhog Day again, but I would do that. Yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, but no, I, it, was, it was a real nail-biter, too. They took it, what, to the 10th inning, and it was tied up until the, like, I want to say the last half of the inning. I want to say yeah. that. No, no. It was, what? It was tied to the first half of the inning, and sports. then they pulled ahead. So, yeah, sports. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you're on the internet. You can look it up. We're good. <laughs> exactly. Google. All right. But I, just, I was really amped about that, and... In fact, if you're listening to this and you're on the internet, you're probably too young to know who Harry Carey is, so look that up, too. Yes. So, um, Will Ferrell on SNL. That's a good starting point. Yeah. So turn to the other camera. In other news, uh, <laughs> Samsung's washers are exploding. The doors are flying off their hinges. Yeah. Um, they already recall, uh, recall 2.8 million of the units. So they're not going to be allowed on planes now, are they? No. Nope. None <laughs> of these on planes? <laughs> nope. No. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I literally had no idea that Samsung made washing Washes? machines. Yeah, man. Yeah, Televisions, yeah, cell phones. Yeah. The cell phones are blowing up. The washing yeah. machines are blowing up. I mean, they're getting popular, right? are not, though, oddly <laughs> enough. You can take their bombs on planes. Yeah. You know what's not blowing up? Their stock prices. Ooh, oh, stock dig. Too, too soon? <laughs> Man. Where did all this shade come from? CBNC <laughs> snap. Our, Which is uh, funny because I love my Samsung. It hasn't blown up in my face. Yeah. I, I can't complain. Well, I'll tell you one thing because like, I have the S7 Edge, and like, whenever I pull my phone out now, and like, that's also the topic of conversation, I have to assure everybody no, it's not a note. Like, it's not going to blow up in my face or anything. <laughs> As it's 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 kind of weird. Like how do many times feel I've actually, any, do you feel any hesitance? Is this like I, I don't, but it, it's it's odd that I've actually had to do that more than once. Right, but you're reassuring everyone else around you. Is there ever a point where you're like, check your phone? Oh, thank God, I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> thank God, I have an iPhone. All right? I have to worry about is a crappy OS. <laughs> yeah, OS jokes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Stick to Wall we Street got stocks. Woo! Stick anyway, to those guys. No, but uh, it's funny because it's. What's the next product that Samsung makes that's going to blow up? Uh, that's the question. Are we taking bets now? I, I'd rather not. Can you channel <laughs> Harry Carey and prophesize this one as well? <laughs> Samsung baseballs! That'll explode! There you go. <laughs> Samsung baseballs. They're getting into the game. Oh, man. No, but... All right, it's Samsung so baby monitors. That's going to be the next no. one. Nice. <laughs> oh, well, you don't then put they it really next to the kid. You just put it in the room. <laughs> oh, God. That's how that works, right? That would be a kids. nightmare. There's two. It's one in their room, one in your room. Oh, well. <laughs> Take uh, out the entire family. Oh. <laughs> God damn it. Wow. And on that note, oh. um, <laughs> so apparently um, someone else has dual citizenship. Uh, Steven Seagal is, uh, has, is officially Russian. Ja? Uh, Steven, uh, yeah, Steve Seagal, you know, yeah. under siege. Yep. Oh, yeah. oh, we know. Putin just swore him in. I realize this is a pop culture podcast, but I question the integrity of this being news. <laughs> it was on BBC. It was oh, on what? That makes BBC. me sad. It was on what? BBC. BBC. Now I'm questioning whether or not that's news, and that's, that is sad. Right? <laughs> oh, it's a fake sad news. day. Fake news is fake. I don't know. I mean, on the upside, I think that that means there's going to be more Russian cinema stuff, right? Cause, I like, hope so. Yeah. It's going to be great. Because that guy will shoot an abstract film in your kitchen for money. 
Almost probably majority will watch it on Netflix. Do you think he'll join the KGB? <laughs> he was I mean, a, wasn't he, he a was cop? In the police wasn't for a while. he a cop? No, he was a police officer. Was where, where, mm-hmm. Does anybody know where that was at all? Steven Skull? Was, he, had a, like he had his Jackson own show. Or some yeah, he had his own show where he's a cop. Reality yeah. show. Yeah. Hey, everybody. You're listening yeah. to this. The internet. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up. Oh my Look it up. <laughs> why would facts. why would why would Russia want Steven Seagal? Why? I, I don't know. They're just now getting the broadcast of his movies from cable. They're stealing our B oh. actors, and they're hoping to get some <laughs> of our A ones. They're gonna adopt Nicolas Cage next. I don't know. <laughs> Val Kilmer's got his visa in standing. They're waiting to find out. That would be a sad day if we lost Nicolas Cage. Who I'd would be. We, a, who no, would we laugh be. at. <sighs> right? Whoa, we have to where? steal the Kremlin. The bees. <laughs> Do it! Oh man, I have to play. Uh, not the bees. No, we're all doing Nicolas Cage. Here, hold on to this water. It may prove useful. I'm gonna go solve a riddle. Um. <laughs> Notice I did not hand you the beer. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, Priorities. I, I think that's the best I got. They're they're going after our B actors, aiming for our A actors, and then yeah, you know Russia yeah. ends up with like the new Hollywood. Little do they know, our new Hollywood's in Atlanta. <laughs> this is true. Yes. Well, a lot of the Marvel movies are, uh, and Marvel TV shows are now. Like how I set you up for that segue? Yeah, yeah. you did. So you did. I went for it. So, like, Marvel, Marvel's new shows, like Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and so on, Daredevil, um, it's just so addictive. I'm just, um, I want to put out this topic that um, now that Marvel has is, is been in the cinematic universe, now it's on TV, uh, where do you think it will go from here? Maybe they'll have comic books soon. Yeah, know. comic books based off this would be great. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> now, um, I, honestly, I think that they're saturating pretty much every facet of the market right now, and they're I mean, doing a really good job pretty. of it, actually. Uh, yeah. I will say, if if people haven't watched Luke Cage do that, but um, what yes. Luke Cage is doing over top of everything else that I've seen Marvel do so far, Luke Cage has a bitchin' soundtrack. The yes. musicality the of that show is incredible. From what I understand, they're releasing a vinyl. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm going to buy a record player so, <laughs> so you I can, can listen get to that, on vinyl. that on vinyl. I'm literally oh going to go to a thrift store. I'm going to buy a record player. Yup. Buy, you know, just yeah. to listen. I, I would totally do that. Though. Well, what I love about it, and, and I mean, Luke Cage, we can go on all sorts of different facets. We don't have enough time to tell you no, how no. awesome Luke Cage is, but well, it's, just, it is. The fact of how relevant it is is the thing that comes to mind for me, but especially with the idea of the music, because the music is all across the board uh, from stuff you would listen to back in the 20s to modern day mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. you know Wu-Tang Clan all in there. And I think that it's accessible for people who grew up with Luke Cage, who was a character that was created by Marvel Comics in the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, as Riff sort of a parody character to um, the Black... St- Exploitation films, uh, Shaft, Dolomite, things like that. Yep. And they were kind of poking fun at Hollywood for even going down that road. And what they discovered was is that there's an audience for this, that there are people that do want there to be black superheroes, that they do want these kind of role models to exist outside of just suburban white America. And, of course, the character goes through a multitude of reiterations and, and yep. catharsis and growth uh, as a fictional character to the point that we have now and as we even translate it to um, this moving picture form, I still give Marvel credit because they say this was a socio-politically aware character, self-aware character going in, 
and then here we are today. What do we do with Luke Cage? And it was a conscious effort. Is his costume, and even in the posters, like you'll yeah. you'll look at on Netflix and they'll be like advertising it. He's got this yellow shirt. The yellow is kind of synonymous with the character, uh, but you rarely see him in a yellow shirt in this first season of the show. And the reason for that is because of the shootings that we had had uh, in New York specifically, and also just in the country. And so they said, you know what, we have this, um, this strong black male who cannot be harmed. His skin is impenetrable. Let's throw that fucker in a black hoodie, and then let's make that the statement. And it, it didn't feel forced. I don't think you could do that mm-hmm. uh, in an episode of Law and & Order or an episode of, of some other show or some other movie without it feeling like, well, this was a preachy episode. This was really kind of just forcing it in my face. Whereas with Luke Cage, they do it, and you're so wrapped up in story, you're so wrapped up in character, that it takes you a while to realize, oh, wow, that's actually making me think about that thing that was a hot topic issue for maybe a little over a month, and then we all start to move on like we do. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking about it again, and I have context, and I have foresight. Like... It's, it's really um, just intelligent mm-hmm. storytelling, and I think that Marvel is doing a brilliant job with that in the, uh, in the idea of going to television or Netflix specifically. Like, mm. they're cracking the code yep. of how to tell those kind of stories. Exactly, yes. and I mean, Luke Cage is just the prime example of their, their newest crop of them. Now, I think there was discussion, like, uh, we're getting the Black Widow movie, yep. and then, <clears throat> which is long overdue, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it, it needed to happen sooner. I mean, it's happening, which is great, but it needed to happen sooner. And then there was discussion. Jeremy Renner actually stated that they were considering the idea of a Hawkeye Netflix series, which I'm personally not 100% sold on. Yeah. But I think Hawkeye as a character, I don't think you could do a whole movie with him. Was this Hawkeye from MASH or is this Hawkeye from Marvel? Jesus Christ. Alan Alda in Marvel's <laughs> Hawkeye. He's, he's I mean, I would he shoot some arrows and some you know, quips. Get the musicality of the MASH soundtrack or tacked onto that. Sold. Is it TV Hawkeye or is it movie Hawkeye? Well, mm. Alan Alda, so TV yeah. Hawkeye. Okay. I don't think Sutherland's quite up for the task. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Alan Alda is either. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, no, the uh, tricky thing about Hawkeye, I haven't read much of his comic books, right. but uh, certainly I believe in the past maybe 15 years they've done a lot more to his backstory to really mm-hmm. bring depth to the character. So there probably are places to explore with that. Mm-hmm. Th- um, there's a really popular um, standalone series that came out, I think a couple of years ago, I think back in like 2012, that Marvel did. They got a lot of really positive reviews, and supposedly it goes into uh, him raising his daughter and him, you know, training her, and also kind of dealing with, you know, not necessarily being at the top of his game anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that should be something that uh, they look into. They should look into. Sold. Yeah. I mean, they've like, already introduced those characters within the Marvel films. I mean, really, what it comes down to is that people are always wondering: is there when is the superhero film going to diminish? Going to fall yeah. off the radar? And I think the answer to that question is when they stop telling good story. Yeah. Like, they can entertain us till the cows come home with CGI special effects and crazy IMAX 3D Doctor Strange folding into the universe stuff, which I saw, and I will say it was worth the price of the ticket. Um, but it was also a redemption story. It was a story about a character, a human, like us, relatable, 
who is so wrapped up in his own self that everything that he does is ultimately to benefit himself, even, even the same thing of saving lives. He's not just saving lives. He's saving a life because that's another life he can put on his docket. I've saved X number of lives. Until by the end of the film where he, not to break it away, but I mean, it's storytelling, you should know this. You have a revelation, you come to a fruition, you hit a catharsis and you come out the other side, ideally a less selfish person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's a pretty simple story. It's not one we haven't heard before. But it's told well. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's something we'll always relate to. We all have our selfish moments. We all have our uh, people in our lives that motivate us to try harder, to do better. And if we stop resonating with those stories, then yeah, we're absolutely going to stop seeing them. All right, so let me ask you a question, because we were discussing this before we came up. But So obviously Marvel, very good at episodic storytelling. But, and we were talking about this DC not as, say, strong, you know, with the fact that they have much more material. Sort of a little stutter there. Sorry. No, uh, it's, it's not DC as far as the movies go. It's Warner Brothers yeah. that is uh, hindering DC, near as I can tell. Yeah, um, you know, as much crap as the DC Cinematic Universe gets, just take a look at the TV universe. Yeah. You know, take, a look at the, take a look at Arrow. Take a look the at Guggenheim The Guggenheim universe. You know. That's, that's not like a scientific term. The executive producer of those shows is Mark Guggenheim. Ah, so. okay. Yeah. I thought it was called the Arrowverse for the longest time. Though. Yeah, well, it is. But, right. you know, it's yeah. not like the Batman yeah. animated series universe is Bruce Timm. Uh, we mentioned this is pop culture, right? Everyone's not like heads are exploding over the nerd talk here. Um, Warner Brothers is holding back what DC could do the same way Marvel has. Marvel is its own production studio. People will say there are lesser films of the Marvel Universe when they refer to things like X-Men franchise, Fantastic Four, may they rest in peace. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to, I don't think it's going to be, it's going to be a long time before we see another Fantastic Four movie, I think. You, you would think, but. I, I think anyways. They want to keep the rights. They want to <sighs> keep those rights. How does that work? It's like they have like five years to make a new movie. Something like that, Before yeah. the rights revert back to if, Marvel. Crazy here, here, internet listeners, uh, look this one up. Fantastic Four actually had a film even before the Chris Evans uh, film where he was the Human Torch that was written, shot, produced, and never released because they only made this film so they could keep the rights to the characters for cinematic purposes. Wasn't that uh, Roger Corman? Roger Corman version. Yeah. Yeah. Roger Corman. They, they did a whole like Hollywood production that they never intended to release, and they never did release, just so they could keep the rights. It's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. What's happening with Marvel that we say are more successful films are the ones that Marvel Studios produces themselves, now owned by good old Disney. Um, DC Comics are primarily only produced by Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers is looking to cash in that money. And to do that, they need to sell toys, they need to sell marketing, and they need to have audience accessibility. And as a result, uh, within the first time of the Man of Steel movie with Henry Cavill, uh, Zack Snyder directing, Warner Brothers went over to DC Comics and they said, hey, uh, we're providing you with new audience. We're providing you with new readership, and they are pulling back because they are intimidated by the idea of arriving to Detective Comics 733 and feeling like they can jump in on the story. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to take all of these characters, 75 years worth of writing and material for Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. We want you to start back at issue one. 
And that pretty much screwed everything up in comic books for DC for about five years. Yep, yep. And they're now trying to sweep a lot of those mistakes under the rug. And that's not to say there was bad storytelling all around, but it was basically just pretending like, I don't know, it's like you're, you get, your parents get divorced and then your mom's just like, no, no, this is your dad. <laughs> I don't know who you think that other man was, but he didn't exist. This is your dad. And I'm your father now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you just you kind of have to roll with those punches. And that, that's a great way to offend your audience. Um, because you're, you're, not, you're not writing to the height of their intelligence. Yeah. You're, you're dumbing it down. I think anybody who was actually resonating a connection with a character, and you said, this is issue 733. Now, I have other issues you can read to build up to this story. But the simple fact is, is that typically in comic books, a story, they'll get a writer and they will get an artist and they will team up together to tell a story. And that story will typically last roughly six to 12 issues, uh, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. But the gist is, is that they're telling a story. This is the equivalence of saying Tim Burton made a Batman movie called Batman. Um, and then when he got done telling his story, we'll say that was 24 issues, we hired this other cat named Christopher Nolan to make another Batman story, which will be issues tw 13 through 24. They don't have to connect, but it's the same characters, it's the same story, we can connect and resonate with the characters. I don't feel like we need to dumb it down. Uh -uh. Right. Also, if memory serves correctly, uh, you're, you're, what you're referring to is the, the launch of the new 52 universe, which, yes. which yeah. I believe was just undone. That, yeah, they just undid that with Rebirth. Yeah, well, yep. the, the funny thing about that was, I believe it was six months into it, DC actually launched a poll on Facebook Saying, I hey, remember this, yeah. Yes. It's like, hey, do you, I was like, what do you prefer? Do you prefer this new 52 universe we've done, or do you want to go back to the old way? Everybody voted the old way, and yet they still put new 52 on the shelves for. Well, yeah, you gotta, you gotta make a plan of how to go back. Well, Otherwise, yeah. you know. I mean, they started it back like a couple years ago with Convergence, which was trying to like do uh -huh. this battle world thing. Horrible. And then, like, a couple years later, they were like, hey, we're gonna, you know, try and go back. So they've gotten to the point where. They are back to the original numbering. Like, you know, they are doing the 700s now for Batman, the 700s for Superman. Yeah. Um, they've kind of tried to just do a, um, like, like I don't, just erase the new 52, if you will. Yeah. And, and, and go back to the way things Good for them. Be. They're just trying to figure out a way to circle back without having yeah. to slam on the brakes and kill everybody in the car. And now the Watchmen are part of the universe, too, apparently. Uh, I don't know. That'll be Yay. interesting. Yay. Um, <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. Yep. <laughs> what, else you, what else you got on that crazy list there? Um, was that, that was the uh, the last topic. Oh um, no! Oh no! So so, but I I was we were I think on the car right here we were talking about um, Ghostbusters. I was thinking about saving that for one of our other podcasts called uh, uh, Post Credit Podcast. Uh, we can save it, but uh, but I'm, I'm I'm thinking we should do it right now. Yeah. Okay. Talk about right. the new versus the old Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah. You want to chime in? You right. Yeah. On? We can pull so, another mic up. If you want to get in on this? You want to come up? Okay. Tag Nation. Right. Oh my God. Great podcast. Man. Yes, uh, absolutely. Shout out to them um, for sure, and shout out to Silent Old Mountains, the music yeah. at the beginning of this, because yep. I recognize that band. Awesome That's podcast, a local by the Frederick way. Man. Yep. Did a great job, by the way. Yes. So. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I will I will try to preface <laughs> this as as efficiently as possible. I am a diehard, full on, no questions asked. 1984 original Ghostbusters fan. Top to bottom, left to right, 
real Ghostbusters cartoon show, I've, I basically have it memorized. Extreme Ghostbusters, I am fluent. You were the kind of kid that injected Ecto Cooler into your veins. Ghostbusters, the video game, <laughs> I'm familiar. Ect, uh, Ghostbusters, the video game on Commodore 64. Oh yes, my God. I beat Ooh. it. Okay, we're talking a That's fan. Old. Go to my mom's attic, and you're going to see a museum of Ghostbuster fandom. That having been said, um, I think I will preface by saying that this Ghostbusters film, whether people want to admit it or not, is a Ghostbusters film that was made by the people and for the people. Um, what ultimately transpired is after roughly 20-some years of Dan Aykroyd trying to get a third Ghostbusters film off the ground, and Paramount basically saying, well, we don't know if there's an audience for that. Um, Harold Ramis passed away. May he rest yeah. in peace. When Harold Ramis passed away, who was a co-writer and creator of the Ghostbusters films we know, Ivan Reitman, the director of the first two Ghostbusters films, said, you know what? I don't want to do a Ghostbusters 3. If there's a Ghostbusters 3, I support it. I don't want to be a part of it. Okay? Yeah. So this, what happens now is that the internet, you people, the people listening, you did this. You did this. This is what happens. Ivan Reitman passes. So what do we do? We speculate. We question. We throw out ideas. We, we love doing this. We make lists, lists upon lists. Top 10, top 100 directors to replace Ivan Reitman for Ghostbusters. I mean, that's literally what we do. <laughs> Whose name ends up on the list? Paul Feig. Great. Awesome. What happens? When Paul Feig's name's on the list, Paul Feig, director of Bridesmaids, Spy, The Heat, great fun films. What happens is, is that trolls come onto these chat rooms and they say, Paul Feig, that sounds like it's going to be an all-women's Ghostbusters, which ultimately results in two camps of saying, well, what's the problem with that? And fuck you. <laughs> so That's a simplification, but it's true. From there, what happens is, is the that somebody room. passing as a journalist... Who knows? Maybe one of us goes to the Cannes Film Festival, sees oh, Bill true. Murray promoting St. Vincent with Melissa McCarthy, one of the Paul Feig common stars, and says, hey, Bill, what do you think about an all-women's Ghostbusters? Bill Murray, being completely ambivalent, as he has been about the idea of there even being a Ghostbusters 3 for the next 20 years, looks at him and goes, I don't know, sounds like a good enough idea as any to me. Which turns into headline, Bill Murray endorses all-female Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> which then causes the hashtag female Ghostbusters, hashtag Ghostbusters 3, whatever have you. And then all of a sudden Paramount gets done counting all of their money and diving into their Scrooge McDuckian vault <laughs> and says, hey, shit, Ghostbusters is trending. We should make a, we own that, right? We should make a movie. Well, hold on. This Paul Feig guy is trending. Is, you should, yeah, let's call that guy over. Let's have a conversation with him. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be all women. I, I don't know if that's, I mean, that's what they're telling us, and, you know, we just listen to people. So that is ultimately how this came to fruition. Now, this isn't me bashing that. I actually like this idea. I, I'm not against it. Personally, my only gripe is that this was not a continuation of the pre-existing continuity. This is the equivalence of, again, going back, you have Tim Burton's Batman, and you have Christopher Nolan's Batman. And there are a lot of people, I remember when Batman Begins comes out, that go, well, <laughs> Can't this just be the same Batman? Why do we got to start over again? Yeah, yeah. And so I would have preferred this be Ghostbusters 3. Make one of them, I don't know, one of the Ghostbusters' daughters, nieces. I don't care. That's fine. <laughs> but really, my, my, my struggle is, is that, you know, we want to go into the same comparison of the Batman worlds. 
1984 Ghostbusters, first off, fifth character that needs to be top build, New York City. New York yes. City in 1984 is very different from New York City 2016. It's a whole nother character. <laughs> and I don't think the character was well represented in this version. Um, that being said, when Tim Burton stopped directing Batman, we also ended up with two not-so-great Tim uh, Batman films directed by Joel Schumacher. We don't talk about those. Exactly. And I don't think this is quite that bad, but there is a level of cartoonism that exists in, in Paul Feig's Ghostbusters that was not quite there in yeah. Ivan Reitman's. And that's just the purest in me. That's well, just me saying... Chris, Chris Evans, hysterical. Kate McKenna, hysterical. They were cartoons. And that, that took me out of it a little bit. Well, here's my thing, because if you read the comics at all, because like, there are Ghostbuster comics. Oh, I've read um, I've read them all. The there, are, there are humorous elements, but it also it's a different kind of humor. Paul yeah. Feig has the habit of going for the shtick, uh, letting there be a little more Judd Aptalian kind of improvisational and granted, Bill Murray improvised throughout the majority of the 1984 I, Ghostbusters. That's pretty much all he did, yeah. Yeah. Um, I could go over trivia on that. Um, <laughs> the, really, the, he could. I think the difference also in the humor was just, again, that cartoonism. Yeah. You know, Ghostbusters 1984, the joke is this. We are scientists with PhDs, and now we are going to become Ghostbusters, and we're going to treat it not like scientists, but like guys who are basically blue-collar plumbers. We show up to your door, and we exterminate the issue, and we bill the crap out of you. And that's hysterical. And that's how? really funny to me. But then we go to this new Ghostbusters, and it's very much about really thumping our chests about being scientists. It's very much about, you know, we, we need to prove that ghosts exist. And, and I felt like that kind of... Forcing that particular issue of proving that they're worth something was also a little bit of a subconscious way of trying to justify this film at all. Yeah. Um, it took me away from what could have been a good story. Well, here's, here's one thing, because, it, again, uh, going back about, you know, you wanted them to be connected in some way to the original Ghostbusters, have it be a continuation... If you read the comic books, I mean, they have it where there's, like, different chapters. They're, like, starting to license out, kind of like a McDonald's. Like, you know, we'll have one pop up here, one pop up here, You'll, like one in Greenwich, you know, if you Which will. Which is one of the things like, Dan Aykroyd always wanted to do yeah. with the characters in the franchise. So you could have had them in, like, somewhere else, like, in a different part of New York. Yep. You could have had them in Hill's Kitchen if you wanted. And considering the whole thing you know? is shot primarily in Boston, I don't know, maybe Boston goes place there. Um... I mean, think about all the stuff you could have done with, like, revolutionary-era ghosts, you know? Yeah. Like, just that alone. Like also, you could have... in the sense of the cartoonism that I was expressing, the ghosts themselves were just overly CGI'd. Um, and, and that just, it felt, which I honestly thought they were, in fact, CGI'd until I, on my third screening of this film, within a month, um, I actually had the f good fortune of watching it with one of the stunt doubles of the film. And they were kind enough to, like, lean over and whisper, like, little factoids about behind the scenes and cool stuff. And they even showed me a photo. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, there's a, a, a ghost character that takes over the haunted subways. And he's kind of, he was an electro, um, a prisoner that was electrocuted to death. And I thought that was completely CGI. And she shows me the guy who was, like, in the subways with them shooting this. And I just thought that's such a shame because, like, this guy, people are going to think that he's a computer-generated image, his, his career. And he actually did this really cool thing. Um, 
Speaking of really cool things, I'm sorry, just because I saw that character appear where I went. Um, the Madame Toussaint Wax Museum in New York City had a virtual reality Ghostbusters experience. I lived my life as a Ghostbuster for 10 solid minutes, and you will never take it back from me. <laughs> it was incredible. When was this? Uh, this was right before I left New York for this crazy wa- walkabout that I've been on. Um, and it was insane, man. It was complete bananas. Like, I was, I was reaching out to things and touching them. Um, we go outside, outside, air quotes for you listeners. Um, onto, no, visual onto, reference to an audio podcast. Onto uh, scaffolding of this giant building, and the wind is blowing at you, and I look down, and I see cars and everything moving around, and there's like a tower off in the distance of the skyline with the crazy clouds going above, and there's some gargoyle coming to life attacking us. We got a blast, and I got honest-to-God vertigo. I like grabbed onto this virtual reality railing, that there actually is a railing in this room. <laughs> and I'm hanging on because I'm afraid I'm about to fall 1,500 stories. It was, in, it was just insane. Um, yay, virtual reality. We're all just never going to see each other face-to-face again. <laughs> That's nope. basically where we're heading. Um, so, so ultimately... I, please feel free to chime in. I'm stealing Ghostbuster talk because yeah. that's kind of where I live. Um, I mean, um, the cameos were worthless. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Oh, yes, please. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. How did you feel about the people, the women that were casted, and there was a little bit of hoopla over the fact that the three white women were scientists, but the black women Leslie... Leslie Jones. Yeah, Jones. Yeah. Okay, well, I will, I, I will thump my chest and defend every one of those women for their performances in that film. I thought they were fine. I thought they were absolutely fine. I have a suspicion that Kate McKenna's character of Holtzman was inspired by all three of the Marx Brothers, and I hope to ask her about that one day. <laughs> if not that character, her comedy in general, because she's just delightfully twisted. Um, I mean... Ernie Hudson's character of Winston was not a scientist in the original Ghostbusters. He was an everyman. He was looking to get a job and mm-hmm. make good in his life. And a lot of people would say that he is, I mean, from a, from a writing standpoint, yeah. he's meant to be your in. I mean, literally the first line that he says in that movie is, if there's a paycheck in it, I'll believe whatever you want. You know what I mean? Which like, is great. He's the realist. We have We yeah. have Bill Murray, who's like the blasé, all right, ghosts. We have... Dan Aykroyd, who's the excited to the brim that ghosts can exist. And we have Egon, who, uh, Harold Ramis, who's just, you know, interested in the science behind it, which is great. You need, you need someone that I can connect to. I'm not a scientist. Yeah. Oh, we've got Winston? We're justifying yeah. that this can be a blue-collar job? How would I react living? to this, you know? Yeah. yeah exactly. And, and I'm, I mean, he's got great freaking lines in the film. I've seen shit that'll turn you white, which is obviously <laughs> especially funny, given his own complexion. But... And Ernie Hudson loves this character. He holds on to it. I think Leslie Jones, as an MTA worker, um, was... It worked for me because, again, and I don't care about skin color, but just as a character, it worked for me that there was a, a character that was the in, a character that came from not science. She brought plenty to the team, her awareness of history, which if you're going to deal with ghosts, you need to know who died. So she had a lot to offer in that front. Um, and, you know, she, because she is that access character, she's the one who's asking the questions that you, the audience, are asking. Mm-hmm. She was honestly probably, in my opinion, the most grounded and 
personally my favorite character of that film. She was the heart of it for me. And I will also say that I was the most skeptical about her casting in the film because I've seen her do stand-up and I've seen her on SNL and she's very funny, but she has a very Sam Kinison style of comedy. She likes to scream her jokes or her punchlines and, and that could be jarring and that could take you out of the joke, even if the joke's very funny. And I was afraid that was gonna end up with two hours of Leslie Jones screaming in my face. Meanwhile, yes, she screams, but at appropriate moments where I would scream, like, you know, <laughs> a freaking mannequin coming to life and d doing a weird Michael Jackson walk my way. Um, but her character also had an element of innocence that the others didn't. Holtzman was, was jaded or just, you know, like, I like science, things are crazy. And um, Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig just had this weird, over-the-top, like, we were friends, but now we're not friends. Are we still friends kind of vibe? And it's like, guys, that's a really, no. It, why does this need to be the story? Like, you can just care about each other. You can just have this kind of sisters in arms kind of vibe about it. Um, but then you got Leslie, who's just like, I want to do this. I want this to be fun. And that's what I always remembered Ghostbusters being when I was a kid. The real Ghostbusters, yeah. extreme Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's jeopardy and there's drama. But the goal is, is like, holy crap, we're shooting lasers out of backpacks <laughs> at ghosts. That's bananas. I can't wait to do this with my friends on the playground. Like, Leslie brought that energy to it. And I didn't feel like anyone else really did. Everybody was too busy scratching their heads trying to figure out, well, what does it all mean? And Leslie's like, let's do this. So, I mean, that, that's personally my take on it. I just... Sure. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, What's your favorite song and why? <laughs> oh, damn. Yes. Yes. Are we just talking in general or... It's, it's going to be tough calls. There's a lot of... <laughs> so, starting with you. Oh, my God. So, f th this can be any, any genre or anything, right? Or is, are we just... Okay. She said okay. favorite song, cool. period. Oh, from the, from, from the Ghostbusters oh, soundtrack? Oh, from the no. Ghostbusters. Oh. Oh. From the Ghostbusters soundtrack or just... Oh, in general. In just general. in general. Oh, in general. Okay. I believe, in general. I believe she was asking in general, like, cool. what's yeah. your favorite song? Because my answer was going to be Saving the Day from the first movie. The Ninja Turtles soundtrack. The Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, was it... Don't Nine... give him that in. He'll wait, choose wait, wait, wait. that. No, no, 9.95 no, from what the first... 9.95 from the first Turtles soundtrack. I'm going to need to hear a little bit of that. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I can't. I can't hear it. What is that? How does it? I, I, <laughs> do it. 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 I can't remember the words. Here, hold no. this water and sing oh. that song. Um, honestly, I was. I was afraid for this. I was like, man, my answer is gonna be freaking boring. Um, like any song ever. I uh, like crap. I don't know. Like, um, honestly, oh. I go to like when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin is like one of my favorites. There you go. There you go. That's probably one of my favorite songs. Sing it. <laughs> <laughs> when the levee breaks, ain't got no place to stay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Um, the girl from Ipanema. If you've ever been in an elevator, you've heard this song. <laughs> I've... I love that song strictly do, for the reason do, that do, I don't care do, what, do, what do, mood do, I'm in. Do, I could be in the do, shittiest do, mood do, possible. That do, song comes do, on, do, do, I am in an infinitely do, better mood yeah. by the time it's over. It's the original. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The B I mean, I love B-52s, don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm just saying the Are original Are you enjoying version. the podcast? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> All right, I'm just gonna list three real quick because right. I can't. I, I, no, no, it's okay. I, I'm gonna stick the. I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save the last one. I'll specify. Right. It's just I did karaoke when I was in LA last month, and uh, I, I don't know how or why I decided to go for it, and it just kind of worked. Uh, Sinead O'Connor's "Nothing Compares to You." Oh wow! Which was actually written by Prince. People didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, just based on your like that one song that just like gets me hyped up, um, Mysticals bouncing back. I can just listen to that for days. <laughs> and um, we we need ah, that on the whoa. mic. I feel like I can't regurgitate that accurately. Wow. There are listeners that didn't hear that. They're going to be dumb. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm false. You want to come up here and repeat that for us, please? Right? <laughs> here, just, yeah, just, come up, just come up here. It's fine. We got it right here. Come on down. Come on He's, down. Uh, people listening on You're the internet, this is for you. Here we go. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. Thank you, Sean. You're welcome. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for calling uh, in. So, uh, Sinead O'Connor or as they call her on SNL, Sinbad O'Connor. Uh, her Nothing Compares to You is actually a remake. Prince did write it, so you're right on that. Mm-hmm. But he wrote it for a band called The Family. Right. And The Family had that on their uh, debut album, and then Sinbad O'Connor covered it. Look at that. You're welcome. Podcasts, you can learn things. <laughs> learn stuff. Um, that's the only thing I've learned in my fourth decade of life. There it is. <laughs> All right. Very good. Going strong. Um, and the one I'm just going to finish with, because I can't, I'll never want it out of my head, is Manamana. 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 Yeah. Fantastic. Um, usually, uh, people ask me what my favorite song is. I'll be like, yeah, it's, you know... It's uh, Tom Sawyer by Rush. I'm like, I really like that song. But secretly, I really like Miss Fat Booty by Most Def. <laughs> really do. <Yeah>. Really do. <laughs> it's, that's, great. That's it's great at the gym. It's, 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 uh, it gets, uh, you, gets you pumped. Could you, we're could waiting. You, could you give us a couple lyrics, Sean? We're what? We're waiting. Oh, no, no. I, 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 <laughs> I, lis- I listen. I don't, re- you know. I we don't all repeat. sung our song. <laughs> we, got, we got another question. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes. What happens? Uh, what? I am. I wouldn't say that I'm a, a big comic book or you know comic movies. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, None of us either. No. <laughs> Just no. Like nerd culture uh, enthusiast. Aficionado. Yeah. Aficionado. Yeah. Yeah. My sweetheart is. Uh huh. Um, Hello. Hi. 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 I'm currently in one That's of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could, you, could you give me any advice to um, how best to love my nerd? You know, uh, interesting. Uh, like when they I, make you cosplay and you don't know how to cosplay. Uh, and they make you 
Oh, dude, I, I mean, I don't know how to cosplay, but I admire the craftsmanship that goes yeah. into the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm actually dating a girl who wants me to cosplay with her, so, I mean, like, I don't have do that it. problem, necessarily. So wait, what, what does she want you to cosplay um, I think before we can offer the medication proper, we need to understand the symptoms. What is it that's making you not so into it? Is there any curiosities here? Where's the, where's the line? It, I'm like, well... Talk to me. Let's get deep. <laughs> I, I guess what line. it means is, like, so I don't manifest my nerddom in such a visible way. Okay. Like, if I were to, like, I I mean, I'm a big fan of, like, fantasy series. I'm a big fan of, like, Orson Scott Card. I, I read him a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of the the Witcher series. Mm-hmm. and like, But I'm not the type that would dress up at a con, whereas mm-hmm. my sweetie is the type that dresses up at a con and gets a lot of... And it gets a lot of attention, and she just expresses her nerddom in a in a different way. I'm very out. So you're not saying you're not a nerd. You're just I'm, saying I'm not a nerd, yeah. but like I I don't. Are you saying you want to? Here's be? the thing. Here's a good question. Okay. We are nerds about completely different canons. Sure. You know what I mean? Right so on. Like I've got my thing, and she's got her thing. Yeah. yeah. And we all come together with this crazy mold of happiness that is our, yeah. in fact, yeah. nerdisms. <laughs> But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it, I wouldn't say it gave me a rub, but, like, we went to Awesome Con in D.C. these we several there, months ago. Right? We were there, too. And uh, she went dressed up. She invited me to dress up, too. But she was really great in her costume, and I wasn't as, she was like, it was almost like dating a, you know, a, a nerd celebrity. Okay, like, well, I so mean, celebrity couples, that's a whole other thing. We don't so need to I stick mean, to nerds like, on that. It's like dating someone who's like a nerd celebrity and also nerds about different stuff than you. It's yeah. almost like in the space we're in two different realms. How mm-hmm. do you connect across How do you connect across nerddoms? Well, in, in, a, in a couple relationship, I think there needs to be an open line of communication, you know, about... <laughs> About what it is that each of you wants to bring to this and where you yeah. can meet in that our middle uni- spot. Our universes don't cross dimensions as yet. Well, just wait for Paramount to buy the rights because they're all trying <laughs> to figure out how to tie in movie universes. They'll get to it eventually. Lord of the Rings is just going to be part of Star Wars tomorrow. So <laughs> You I, joke I, about it now, but I mean... No, I mean, I, I think, okay, look, I think really what it comes down to is that you find what it is that makes... What you're passionate about? I mean, obviously the cosplay aspect. What? What are? Is it comic books? Is it video games? Where? Where do these characters drive from? Comic books, X Men. Okay. Great. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, but ultimately, and and what I think comes to the forefront of why 99% of us do connect to these things, at least I hope so, is story. Right? That's why you read these books. That's why mm-hmm. you connect to these comic book characters is based on their story. It's not just how they're drawn. It's, it's what they go through. They're, they're trifle. Yeah. So perhaps if you find mutual themes and elements or, or find a story that you, know, you hear her talk about, you know, these characters go through these things and, and I really connected to this, this moment, this, you know, this loss, this grief, this uh, achievement. And you're like, you know, I know a comic book with a character very similar to the one you're describing, I think you might dig this. Um, right. I would also say that because you're more adept to legitimate novels and novelizations, graphic novels might be a nice stepping stone into issues and episodics. Mm-hmm. There are, I honestly believe, some of the best. There's some of the best writing happening in literature and graphic novels. There are stories that are being told right now. Um, 
in written word uh, accompanied by uh, gorgeous yeah. and sometimes even rudimentary artwork. And it's not all just superhero stuff. I no, mean, like, God, there's, no. like, like the latest interview with the vampire. Can yeah. we talk about that? It's amazing. Uh, you can talk about it. I will happily oh. listen. <laughs> no, the latest interview with the vampire is written in a graphic novel format, and it's all in sepia tone except for the color red. Ah. And it's fantastic. And a clever artistic decision. Right? Yeah, I'll have to keep and a lookout for that. it especially highlights the relationship of Lestat and uh, uh, Louis. Louis. Yeah. With Cornelia. Nice. Ah. It's amazing. It's fantastic. And I will also say if, if something to, to be considered, if ever, for another issue down the road of the magazine, there are a lot of uh, gay and lesbian comic book writers and artists that have told um, autobiographical stories of their own yeah. uh, journey Absolutely. through coming out to their parents and things like that that are highly accessible. I mean, I remember being in high school, and one of the very first graphic novels I read was Pedro and Me, which was about Pedro Zamora, you know, from the real world and, like, his struggle with, you know, being out and all the stuff that he was going through. And um, it, it was really well-written story, you know? Now, obviously, these aren't cosplay characters, but yeah. <laughs> I, I do believe that for the sake of connecting on that same level of nerdum, these could be accessible stepping stones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got to read more. One, one more question. Yes, sir. Can so we just stay on subject? I'm sorry. We're just we're really on a roll here. Hi. <laughs> uh, so first of all, Orson Scott Card, great pick. His best novel, Past Watch, The Redemption of Christopher Columbus. That's my favorite novel. However, since on the last podcast I was named an honorary lesbian, yes, I do need to point out that Orson Scott Card, on the scale, on the gay scale, the gay gray scale of zero to a hundred, he's off the charts anti-gay. So, um, as an honorary lesbian member of the prior podcast, I do have a question for the, uh, the geeks on the panel, which is this. Uh, I was a little bummed out by uh, George Takei's reaction to the evolution of the Sulu character on the latest Star Trek uh, outing. Right. Um, uh, for whoever's listening, uh, Sulu was actually, I thought, very lovingly and very wonderfully... Um, highlighted as a gay character, and not because he went out in chaps, you know, assless chaps, <laughs> but instead oh he my. walked out into a crowded r room with lots and lots of people, and he, you know, had a very tender hug with another man, and they had what we, you know, conclude is their shared daughter. So right. I thought it was very, very gracefully done. And a lot of people seem to have liked that. Yeah. Except for Mr. George Takei. George Takei didn't, yeah, he, 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 he thought that Sulu himself Wait, was... Wait, I, I yeah. think we have some dissension in the ranks. Can I just say, oh yeah. my. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, absolutely. Oh my. This podcast is a conversation. Yes. I'm on board. I dig it. I haven't seen the latest Star Trek where this scene unfolds, but I have read about the controversy between um, uh, George Takei and the producers and writers and actors of the latest Star Trek. <laughs> As much... Sorry. I, I just can't believe I'm sounding like such of a nerd, but uh, yeah. like when it when I think about it, when it comes to being a queer person in space, George Takei is yes. the authority. He's Absolutely. like the only person who's been gay in space other than Sally Ride, and she's not with us any longer. Can we also just say Chewbacca might be closeted? I mean, maybe. I mean, he's well. I mean, the holiday special never happened, so you know. He's queer at least. Um, 
But for me, as a queer person who's experienced, um, you know, people who are not queer, who have really worked hard to be allies, it's, it seems as if they're missing the point. You know, they came to this idea of where they wanted the story to go, how they were gonna portray this gay character mm -hmm. without getting the most experienced person about being gay in space. They didn't get his input until after they decided how it was gonna be. Right. And then after, you know, they presented it, this is how the story of gay in space is gonna be portrayed. What do you think? George Takei was like, I, I don't think it should be like that. I don't, I mean, I don't, yeah. it, I, I, I don't. Uh, um, I mean, to be fair, it's like a five second scene where he's just like, you know, he's, he's off the Enterprise, he's tired, he obviously wants to go rest. Hey, look, there's my boyfriend or my husband and like, let's just go, you know, like, let's go. Like, it's I will equate this to the Cheerios ad. Yeah. But I mean, it, it sounds like, it sounds like, you know, um, an ally is trying so hard to be an ally that when they get the input of a queer person that they don't like, they're kind of like, you know what? I'm doing my best to represent you, so I'm not going to listen to what you say. Well, like the right. role, like the role, the role of an ally. Can I? Well, that, I mean, excuse me. But I, I got to dive a, in here a good, real quick. A good ally is one that accepts the leadership of the people that they're trying to protect, and and incorporates that feedback and that leadership into what kind of media or what kind of policy they produce. Can, um, I, can I just say yeah. that I, I strongly, strongly suspect, and all this is is speculation, that's what we do, right? This is a speculative yes. podcast. Okay, so mm -hmm. the, my speculation is, is that ally or not was not the main thought process. The main thought process is, is that George Takei is Sulu, and Sulu is George Takei because how many other things can we name that George Takei is in his career? And that's not a shot at him. I mean, he, he personified the character. That being, said, um, that being said, the company owns the character, so they can do with it whatever they want. Um, George Takei, though, is a physical manifestation of what we perceive the character as being, um, doesn't have control over these choices. So his input, while... Maybe it would have been nice to be like, hey, George, we were thinking, we look at Sulu because the way you are, so we're just going to make Sulu you to some extent. But I don't think that that was really more, I think that was about the gist of the thought process. So yeah. if, if I may, if I may, if I may. So we, I, I agree 99% of what you just said. However, it's not fun to talk about what we agree on. It's better to talk about what we don't, don't agree on. So I'm going to touch on the 1%, which is this. The original Star Trek, when it came out in the 60s, it was a mix of really good with really bad. And of course, I'm looking at that through a contemporary lens because mm -hmm. here you have a ship in outer space whose first in command is a white straight man whose second in command is not even human, and whose third in command is a black woman, and then whose fourth in command is a Russian. So for the 60s, this is, this is just out of the ballpark <laughs> in terms of what the zeitgeist would Bonkers. accept. Right. So these are good things. However, the white straight captain of the starship would always look down at the girl's ass whenever he, whenever he had to sign something because apparently in the 23rd century there are still pens and you have to sign things on paper. Yeah. 
Uh, but he would always, when the girl walked away in her very short shirt, skirt, he would always look down at her and, and give Spock that, you know. Right. So, yeah, so what was with the Enterprise regulations? So it's yeah. the '60s, and obviously <laughs> that that on. sexist component was still there, but mm-hmm. you know it has evolved. Now, the strike on the new Star Trek, of course, is that when the Carol Marcus character comes in, who is a pivotal character in the new Star Trek universe, what is the first thing? One of the first things that she does, of course, is strips down to her underwear. So clearly, we haven't yet learned what sexism can be like centuries from today. Right. However. I do think that the, to, getting back to this point, I apologize for my little tangent, I think that the, the, the Sulu character being gay was not a small decision, it was an homage. Because the people who were on Star Trek, not only were they on this like, you know, little TV sci-fi show, but they were also contributors to NASA. They were also people whose literal United States of America spacecraft were named after. They're people who had their ashes when they when they you know died sent off into space. These are these were really significant characters. So I think what the intent of the producers was to say, look, this universe that we've created is a universe where money doesn't exist anymore, where war doesn't exist anymore, at least not the way that we understand it today. Let us, let us open up a new chapter in this book. And I think the criticism is we can have a gay character, but we can't have a female science character in her underwear. You know, it, th- there does seem to be a disconnect there. And that, that, to me, would be the objection, less the homage to the Sulu character. Can I just say we should have started the podcast with this topic, apparently? <laughs> I, I want to yeah. say, I mean, I'm not as familiar with the controversy about um, female scientists portrayed in this film. But the thing that sticks out to me is that the Sulu character, as much as it was an homage to George Takei's real person as portraying this, this character during the time that he was playing him, it is a problem to me as a queer person if the representations of queer people are written by straight people who don't take into consideration our own feelings about how they're portrayed. And that's completely Well, perhaps they were thinking more about the collective feelings as opposed to solely George Takei's. But also, I, I have to acknowledge as like George Takei, he's the only, like as I said before, he's the... He is the gay in space. <laughs> but according to George Takei, he uh, well, is, is not. Well, there is John That I mean, that too. I mean, he's got he's got his own. He played the character. I mean, it as, sounds like George would like you to change person. your perception of his character in space, given the circumstances. No, I mean, like George Takei maybe played him as an asexual or a straight character, but I think. I I mean, what I mean is like I mean, they they wrote him to be an homage. Right? Uh, they wrote him to be an homage. And then when they came back and George Takei was like, I don't like this, they were like, I don't care. We're going to keep it as it is. So as a gay person, like I appreciate you trying to represent me in your media. But if it comes to the point where you ask me for my input and then you deny me the significance of my input... That's more offensive. But now we're back to speculation because I, I, I mean, I personally, maybe I'm mistaken. I don't necessarily know that George was asked prior to the production or if he was voicing his opinion after upon seeing the finished film, which too late to do reshoots. But that being said, um, 
I, I do feel like this still comes down to a level of, of audience perception. A, again, speculating. We don't know that this particular decision wasn't brought to the table by somebody from the queer community. We don't know that somebody who grew up watching Star Trek and saying, you know what, George Takei made me want to be in NASA or in space or a writer or pursue greater goals than I necessarily feel I'm capable of as a, a, as a gay, straight, or whatever have you. And so, you know, that might have been a personal contribution from somebody from your community or not. And that was up to the producers to make that decision, with or without George Takei's personal opinion. Um, but also to tack onto that, going back to what I was saying as far as like, it's our perception as an audience, because they didn't make this decision or this film specifically for George Takei. Um, and going back to my Cheerios ad contribution is the idea that, you know, the Cheerios ad with the, uh, the multiracial couple, and the thing is you show it to kids and kids are like, what's the big deal? He was asleep, shouldn't he be at work? Versus, you know, oh, they're, they're different colored skins. Like, who gives a it's nice to think that we're, we're growing into, hopefully growing into a society where when, say, perhaps a kid who does watch Star Trek, the first two films, they're like, dude, Sulu's badass. And they're like, oh, Sulu's got a husband. Sulu's badass. Like, how cool will that be? And, and really just, I think, again, it comes down to perception. You know, we, we might, be it of our, like, our parents or our heroes or whatever have you, you know, how we see them may not be how they see themselves. But just because George Takei sees Sulu as being straight or gay, or we see Sulu being straight or gay, if the character resonates, if the character, if we connect to it, the character is just as much ours as his. Well, I think the big thing with um, the George Takei whole issue um, and controversy is that he didn't want the character to be gay because he was saying that it wasn't canon. And he was saying, you know, I hate that there's this character that everyone's known for years and years and years, mm -hmm. and then suddenly he's gay. Now, I think when they were originally making it, they were trying to do it as an homage. Is there, maybe they should have, should they have asked him or run it by him or try to get that perspective? Like you said, I don't know if there were queer writers or not. Maybe. So perhaps. I'm but at the same time, I think whenever he found out that it was gay and what his issue was is that it wasn't canon. And what they kind of right. came back with is, well, just because something is canon, we they really said that they didn't want to introduce a new character that was gay because they said, well, why don't you just make a new character that's gay? And they said, because then that character is always going to be known as the gay character. Right. But this person already has a back history. It's someone you already know. It's someone you already love, which a lot of times that's the gay people in our lives. It's someone you already know. And suddenly you find out they're gay. And so they were saying uh, kind of when they were talking back to him, they were saying like, we understand where you're coming from, but I don't think that it would have been, we would have had the ability to make a gay character back in those days. Mm -hmm. And so the canon was never gonna be a gay character. Well, I'll and also go, we I'll it. also just, I mean, I haven't seen this third film, but I will go back and just to say that if nothing else from what I recall the first film uh, that J.J. Abrams directed, produced, the whole point of fact is that this is not canon. This yeah. is this is an alternate reality, an alternate universe, is, which means is, that yes, exactly. his version of Sulu can still be intact. I think what it I th maybe I think no. if I'm it's maybe not. I paraphrase what you say, but it's almost like there's a system of power that's in play, and at the end of this decision, we still see the people who are in power are straight people who make the decisions about who can be gay and who can't be. And even, and even against, you know, as I say again, 
the expert in being gay in space, even against his interpretation of the story, they were like, no, we can decide what is okay and what isn't okay in this fiction. So let's, let's play the game of what happened with Ghostbusters. It, attribute it to this in the sense that social media, we the people, we make the decisions. If you had gotten to see that poll and started the hashtag um, Sulu for men, I don't know, but would that have been something that you would have been like, yeah, man, let's, let's make Sulu gay. Why not? Or would you have been like, you know what? Let's all stop for a second and talk to George. I'm a Star Wars fan. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a perfect place to end this conversation. If you want to continue, though, we'll be finishing up. Thank you all so much for staying. We had a lot of fun here, I think. All right, uh... Sean, where can we find you on social media? Very quickly. You can find me at Sean L. Holmes on Twitter.com and also at CastawayStudios.com under the bios. Clayton Myers, where can we find you? Uh, just IMDb is fine. Clayton Stalker Myers. Um, I've been in a few things. Okay. Cool. You can find any of our work on CastawayStudios.com. You can also fund our upcoming projects at Patreon.com slash CastawayStudios. Brian, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter.com slash BMassey1987. Also, we host a Star Trek podcast called The Prime Directive. The Prime Directive, <laughs> which I always state whenever or not uh, Kirk is being misogynist. Yes. <laughs> Should we also have our guests uh, that... Grab the mic? No? You don't want him? No? Alright. Okay, fair enough. Random non-corporeal entities with opinions. Fair enough. Thank Until you. Next Thank time. you all right. so much. Until next time, we are boldly going nowhere. Sean, hit the outro. Boldly Going Nowhere is a Castwave Studios production. For other shows and more, visit castwavestudios.com. Wow, that sounded great.